Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to a special two-part episode of Is This Normal? as part of Belfast Live and Electric Ireland's Power of Pause campaign. In this episode, I'm joined by Sarah Scott, who has just returned to work after the birth of her first child. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Sheena. It's great to be on the podcast, and I'm really looking forward to chatting to our special guest today. Absolutely, because today we're joined by clinical psychologist and author of a new book, Love In, Love Out, A Compassionate Approach to Parenting Your Anxious Child, Dr. Molly Coyne. Yeah, we're going to cover a range of issues in the two parts of the podcast, with part one focusing on the early years for parent and child. Okay, let's get going. Well, Molly, thank you so much for joining Sheena and myself um, for a chat about all things mental health when it comes to parenting. Um, So would you be okay just to chat us through a little bit about yourself, a bit about your own background and how you got into this field? Okay, great to be here, Sarah and Sheena. Um, so I have been, I did psychology back in when I was 18, when I left school, and I was always interested in psychology from a young age. I think I took the caregiver role in my own house, in my own home. So I think that that was always something that just came second nature to me. Um So after doing psychology, a bachelor's and then a master's, I went on to do a doctorate in clinical psychology. And um, I was always interested in the area of children in particular, because I suppose I was an anxious child myself. And then I also had issues with an eating disorder when I was a teenager. And I know that when you work with children, there's an awful lot of change that can happen. It's not just with the children, but with their parents. And I just feel like it's a field that I'm really passionate about because I just think kids are amazing. They're so vibrant and uh, creative and they've such potential that I absolutely love working with kids and their parents. And that's why I've specialized with them now. That's what I that's who I work with now um, for the last 20 years. But um, I'm still, you know, I'm I'm very interested in their parents and in helping their parents as well, because I really feel like if you have a nurtured parent, you will also have a nurtured child. And do you want to tell us then a bit about what exactly is it you do, your job, then your role? Um, so I work as a clinical psychologist in a primary care centre in uh, in Galway. And really that's uh, uh, working with children from the ages of zero to 18. Uh, any child can be referred in as part of the public health system. Um, and they might have an emotional issue. They might have a developmental issue, you know, so it might be that the parent or the school want to know or the speech therapist want to know what their IQ is or they might need resources in school. They might be wondering about different diagnoses like uh, autism or ADHD or things like that, or else they might have um, behavioral issues, you know, where a child might have behavioral problems and the parents are struggling and they want some help. So it's really, there's a lot of anxiety out there as well, which is the reason I went on to write my book 
Um, but there's a lot of different issues that I deal with from the ages of zero to 18, but mostly from two to 18. I don't really, you know, that's kind of why I'm so passionate about the area of infant mental health and the early years, because I think that's something that uh, we need to focus on a little bit more within our public health systems. Yeah, because the early years are so vital, you know, from the very beginning, you know, how we shape and mould our children. Um, so maybe we should talk a little bit about, you know, from from birth and babies and um, how from the very beginning, you know, birth trauma, how that can have an impact going forward. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the transition to parenthood for anybody can be really difficult, you know, to go from having no children to suddenly, you know, I found it myself really hard in a way, you know, I had my first child when I was 35. And, you know, I was just used to living life myself, making my own decisions, and then suddenly having a baby. And whilst, you know, I was so happy to become a mum and felt very lucky to become a mum, it was really difficult. I did, you know, it, it did dawn on me, I remember after a few days going, oh my God, like I'm in charge of this child and, you know, how am I actually going to do this? You know, and then you you add in like exhaustion and uncertainty, all these messages we have out there about this is the right way to parent. You know, even after I had my second, I was handed a book and it said, oh, by 9 a.m. you should have both of them, both of your your toddler and your baby dressed or showered, washed and showered and be ready for the day at 9 a.m. And I was just thinking, I just threw the book across the room and I thought like, that is just, I can't. And that's me, like I suppose me who has a background in psychology and who has awareness of these issues, I found it really hard. And that's why I'm so interested in this area because I think many mums and parents find the transition into parenthood a really difficult one and I think it's not really talked about enough and I, I know it's only when you have a child that maybe that you realize how exhausting and how challenging that can be but it is really hard and I think birth if, if you've also then had an issue with you know, miscarriages or any type of trauma around the birth. I think having a baby now during this COVID-19 pandemic is really difficult for many as well because you don't have your usual supports. You're not able to kind of go to your mum and toddler groups as you were before. Your appointments are different now. You mightn't have as much support. And I think it's it's um it's hard at any time to become a new parent. I think particularly now is is difficult. Yeah, I know that. I think that's something as as you touched on, um, the transition to being a parent for the first time is something probably you know lots of us kind of you spend maybe nine months obviously preparing for the arrival, but nobody tells you what to do when you bring this baby home. So I mean, we all know a lot about obviously um like perinatal mental health and and obviously the women's aspect of things, but obviously there are there are issues probably around a child maybe having been through a traumatic birth obviously being born and, and having a traumatic birth, regardless of, of, you know, whether it's a long labour or complications with the labour. Um, but there are issues that then that can obviously lead to anxiety in children. Have you come across that? Yeah, I think it's it's a field called infant mental health, which people aren't really uh, that familiar with because they think baby mental health. How can a baby? But I suppose we all have mental health. Every human being has mental health from the time that we're born. So it's all about the social and the emotional development of the baby from 
the time that they're in the mother's belly until they're three years old. That's the field of infant mental health. And really it's impacted on the everyday interactions with the parent. So in other words, it's all about that kind of, you know, when the baby's born, they're looking for interaction. So they're they're primed for interaction with their parent. Without that interaction, they won't survive. So not only do they need food and they need sleep, they need to be changed, but they also hugely need that interaction. It's absolutely vital for their brain development. So if you think of, say, if a mother had uh, postnatal depression and we're and when I talk about this by the way I'm never use I'm never talking about blame because there's a lot of people out there who have you know issues after the baby's born and it's um but just to kind of give an example of if a parent is depressed or is finding life difficult there might be things going on in their own lives then that's going to make it harder possibly for them to be able to tune in to their baby. I'm just thinking even as a parent who didn't have postnatal depression, I wasn't able to tune in at times. I was too tired. I was too overwhelmed. There was, you know, and I think for a parent who might have mental health issues, it can be harder then to be able to 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 have that kind of serve and return interaction with their baby where they're able to read their baby, they're able to respond to their baby. And all of those kind of interactions are literally building the baby's brain. And they say up to 90% of the baby's brain gets developed in the first three years of life. So it's a really important time. But I would also say that all a baby needs and all a child needs is good enough. So like secure attachment, which is the relationship between the baby and the parent, it's about the parent a third of the time tuning in, able to tune in to know what this cry means, to be able to respond. Oh, you've got a a wet nappy. I'm going to change your nappy now. A third of it is rupture where you don't quite get it right for whatever reason. It could be that your baby is crying, crying, crying. You don't know how to help them because there might have colic or something that you can't help them with. Or it could be that you're full up and you're stressed out and you're just not in a place to be able to help them. But then the last third is all about repair. So I think that's really an important concept, which is even if so good enough parenting isn't about doing it perfectly 100% of the time. It's about tuning in a third of the time messing up a third of the time for whatever reason where you don't tune in and we all don't tune into each other sometimes it happens to all of us as human beings but then there's this beauty of repair where you kind of come back and say oh I'm sorry you know like it it wasn't and you do this with children up to any age you know say I could have a night where I shout at my child and I feel really guilty afterwards there's still opportunity for me to say to my child the next day I'm really sorry I shouted at you last night, darling. Mommy was really tired, um, you know, and, and to repair in that way. So it's really important to know that repair builds these brain connections that then a baby growing into a toddler, growing into a child and an older person eventually expects repair following rupture. And so they'll expect good relationships if that nurturance happens from the very first few years of life. And that's obviously something we, we, you know people may not be aware of when you know when they're in that kind of new parent bubble. But I mean, if you're on the outside, maybe looking in as a as a partner, as a friend, or as a family member, I mean, what practical help can can you offer, or what work could you maybe signpost somebody who you kind of think does need that ability to kind of repair or some some guidance essentially? 
Well, I mean, I think it's really important to to mind our mothers, you know, like as in in other cultures, mothers that come back from hospital are taken in to the wider family and sometimes and their babies are minded whilst the mother recovers after this huge, you know, birth experience. And sure, I had two C-sections. I was hardly able to walk afterwards. And then you're like expected to stay up all night and feed a baby and you know it's just kind of like such a shock to the system and I think in our western world you know mothers and parents aren't as well kind of cocooned in a way sorry to use that word cocooned because it has different connotations now but um, so I think it's really important for us to support the new mothers and new parents and if as a partner you're concerned about your your the you know your partner who's just had a baby I think in a very gentle way to say you know um, I've noticed that you've you know especially if it goes on after a few weeks we all the baby blues is something that's quite normal for uh, new mums a few days after birth that they would have these hormones leave their system and they might, you know, have a period of low mood for a few weeks. And that can be quite a, a normal hormonal thing, coupled with exhaustion, obviously. But if these symptoms, if this sadness, if this kind of loss of hope the, that you feel, you know, that the person is going through a difficult time for more than just a few weeks, then I suppose I would talk to them and kind of let them know that you're there. Maybe, you know, get them linked up with a friend the public health nurse is always there to support. Um, I don't know, you call them public health visitors there um, in, up, you know, so there's a lot of, there are supports out there. And the most important thing I would say is, is if you're feeling that way, is that there's no shame in it, that there's a lot of new parents that feel like I don't want to go and tell my public health visitor or somebody that I'm struggling because I'm afraid my baby's going to be taken away from me or I'm afraid like I'm not doing this right like I'm able to do my job right but I'm not able to do this right like what's wrong with me and it's like I just want to kind of de-shame everybody and say we all struggle with parenting the first time and if you're struggling with your mental health in particular then that can make it a lot harder and there's no absolutely no shame in I suppose sharing that with somebody because it's really important that you get help and that you get some support you know you a visit to the GP might be important to kind of make sure that your physical well-being is okay that you've got all the the things that you need in terms of your physical makeup and and perhaps you might need some antidepressants. I don't, you know, it really depends. But getting help and your public health visitor or your GP are probably the first port of call. Um, but that there's absolutely no shame. And, you know, that, that you know, yeah, I suppose that, that getting help is really important. The, the, the problem at the moment is that we are bombarded with these social media images of perfect parenting. You know, you bring this tiny baby home and you have all this time to sit and flick on your phone and you're confronted with these images of parents just seeming to get everything spot on, which doesn't help, I suppose. What would your advice be to people when it comes to dealing with mm. all these perfect images that are being thrown at us? That they're not reality, that people post stuff on social media that reflects themselves in a, you know, you're not going to you're not going to post the row you just had with your husband uh, or the shouting you just you know the, the the crazy thing that just happened in your house you're going to post about 
baking biscuits with your new baby and your toddler and oh aren't I managing so well and look I've got makeup on and you know like and then there's a lot of commercialization of new baby the baby market you know it's all about you have to get this new product in order for this to work well you know it's always and, and you're really struggling during that time I mean I, I've come out of that my kids are seven and nine now but I just remember feeling an awful lot of pressure because you're so vulnerable at that time you're so vulnerable to to the messages on social media but also to the message maybe of your mother-in-law or of other people that say oh you shouldn't be holding your baby all the time or you know oh you should stop breastfeeding after six months or you should this you should that and I think really what I talk about in good enough parenting is this idea of learning to trust your gut instinct but I know it's hard to have a gut instinct when we just have had our babies for the first time because we, it's so new to us, but it's about honing that gut instinct and about if you feel like watching social media, watching that parent down the road who's got it all together is too much. Don't look at your Facebook feed. If you can, you are a steward of your senses and you can switch that off and, you know, just focus on what's going on. Because the most important thing is your your relationship with your baby and interacting with your baby and getting to know your baby and, you know, and, and looking after yourself, because if you don't look after yourself, if your cup is empty, you're not going to be able to nurture your, your baby. So I think to kind of be aware that the stuff that's out there on social media and the advice that well-meaning people give you, um, it's, you are their parent and, they don't need perfect and you don't need to be perfect. And if you even try to be perfect, then you're going to end up stressing yourself out. And children learn better by seeing things that aren't or by being in a non-perfect situation and, you know, delighting in your baby, you know, kind of really smiling at them and using everyday interactions. So like when you're changing your baby's nappy that you would kind of smile at them and, and kind of be playful with them and have these little moments of bonding or just it's not I suppose it's it can be difficult though if you're feeling quite low so I would get help if you if you're, you're finding those things difficult but don't believe the what's out there I I don't you know but I do when I'm feeling vulnerable I do compare myself more to others and I do feel like oh look they're doing so much better than me or look at that I God, I wish I could, you know, I wish I was a, a somebody that could bake, I don't know, or cook or do this, that and the other. But I'm sure you you, you yourself know that it's, uh, there's a lot of pressure, yeah, especially with that. Is. It's one of those things, I think, when you're, when you're a new mom and you're, I know, personally, in my own experience, I mean, my, I have a, a two-year-old now, but when he was first born, I remember thinking, if there was something wrong with him, I have, there's something innate in me that I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I, I need to get to the bottom of a problem. That's just me. So if he wasn't sleeping, if he wasn't feeding well, I'd be frantically searching for the answer. And, you know, in hindsight now, you sometimes realize, especially in those early months, there is no answer. You know, maybe there are just going through a fussy phase. But um, I mean, what would you say to parents who are yeah. maybe in those those throes of, of, of having a newborn and are trying to find out, you know, oh God, is there something wrong with my child? Nine times out of ten, there's nothing. And they're just they're they're 
hyping up their own anxiety? I mean, is there is there any practical help for that? I think, I mean, everybody says this to you, everything is a phase and that is for sure. But when you're right in the middle of it, it can be really difficult to see that as a phase and you just think, oh my God, this is just going to go on forever. You know, the crying that starts at seven o'clock at night, the walking around your neighborhood or getting them into your car for them to sleep you know, the kind of the nap situation, all of that and the the teething. I mean, it's so and then if you've got a baby with colic or any other type of kind of issue, there isn't always like an answer, you know, like the baby can't talk there, you know, so you don't know, you won't always know. But generally, the situation will resolve itself. And, you know, you might have some calm after a while. But I guess, you know, to try to kind of, you know, common humanity is really important here. I think it's really we, we post on social media how amazing life is, but we don't post that, you know, necessarily that your baby was up until whatever time or you don't know what the what you're doing or you're finding it really hard. And and I think to know that like lots of pa- new parents, every new parent struggles and that, you know, um if you can obviously try to get some help, you know, you have your public health visitor there, you know, to, to get some help from if there's a particular issue or your, your, your GP or something like that. Um, but you know, that these early years won't last forever. And I know that's really easy for me to say because I'm past the early years. There's different issues when they're seven and nine. Now I'm kind of going through, you know, like friendship issues and war, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, just to kind of bring kindness to yourself. So it's kind of acknowledge your feelings, identify what they are. You know, this is this is what it's like to be a new parent right now. And then put your hand on your heart and say, may I bring kindness to myself in this moment? And there's lovely, lo- lovely apps out there like Headspace where you can do like some free mindfulness. There's a really good, um, I can send you a link to it. It's a compassionate mind approach. And it's actually for it's from net mums and it's for it's for new parents. And it and, and I have stuff on my website, actually, as well, like free kind of mindfulness little exercise. And I just think, you know, I like that idea of the power of pause, because in a really hard parenting moment, if you do just pause for a second and just. Just take that breath then it kind of can help you to reset. And if you need to leave the room because your baby's crying so much and the baby is safe enough there for a second, you need to do that because, and 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 I remember ringing my husband, you know, in a moment of like panic going, she was meant to fall asleep after we went for a swim and she hasn't. And like, I've tried to get her to fall asleep like five, 10 times. And every time I put my head on the pillow, she wakes up again and I, you know, just kind of losing your mind with tiredness, losing your mind. Um, and I think, you know, have those people, have five people that you can call to help you. And I know it's harder now during lockdowns and COVID and everything like that. But have those five people in your mind that you can call, that you can be honest with and say, I am literally really struggling here. I need a break right now because I don't you know I'm finding it really really hard and I mean that's that's the next stage then obviously those those early days pass and we move on and, and they do get that little bit and start becoming the, the little walk and talk and toddler around the house which again presents a whole new area of anxiety both for you as a parent 
because you're watching them all the time and afraid that you know something terrible is going to happen them when this become more mobile but also then as you maybe if you're a working mom if you go back to work then this thing presents itself maybe like separation anxiety and you start to worry that you know your baby's not going to be able to or your toddler is not going to be able to, to kind of go without you or if they do maybe exhibit signs of separation anxiety and um, if they go to nursery I mean how how can we identify that and obviously where can we go I mean what what what's the help there because I know I've had that myself where it took a while for my own son to settle in nursery and anytime we had a break be it Christmas or Easter you know where he was back home we had lockdown where he was away from his childminders for for several months and going back was really really difficult um, and I didn't know how to manage that I you know, I was dropping him off and he was crying and I was coming home and I was crying because it just was very unnerving. Um, so, I mean, what what tips is there for, mm. for really helping helping both the toddler and the parents through that stage? Oh, it's so hard. I Like you remind me of, I remember a friend of mine dropped her, I think two-year-old or no, might have been younger to crash one day right after me. And like, I just remember like this has happened, you know, like of, of seeing her and she was in tears and just putting my arms around her and saying, it's okay. You know, like, it's just a horrible feeling when you walk away or walk out of somewhere, you just feel like the worst parent, or you just feel like, why am I doing this? Why am I even working? You know, I love this person so much. Why would I want them to go through this pain? You know? And I think to kind of know that um, it's totally natural for, there's some children that have more of a tendency towards anxiety than others. They say about 15% of children do. Um, but it's a very natural pop part of, you know, it shows your son's uh, kind of attachment to you, the fact that he found it difficult to separate from you. And it's not surprising at all that after many months of lockdown where you were in your own little bubble that, you know, you know he, he found it difficult then to separate again from you and, it that is it can be really tough for some parents and i think like say even with my 7 year old she sometimes doesn't want me to leave at night so i put her to bed and she says mommy don't go and i say you don't want me to go and i she says no and i suppose what i've started and i only gave this advice to a parent on the phone today i sometimes say to her um okay darling um you t- i'm going to just we're not going to talk now we're going to stay quiet darling you tell me when you want me to go. Now, this is at nighttime. Okay, so I'm not saying it, you know, so at nighttime, it could be that you empower your child and say, you tell me when you, it could be that they woke up at three in the morning and they think there's a monster in the room and you're you're trying to help them through that. But sometimes when you empower the child and say to them, you tell me when you want me to go, funny enough, using that reverse psychology can empower them and they can then, you know, maybe the first night she might have kept me there for 10 minutes. But the second and third night, it was only for 30 seconds because she knew she could. But I know that's different dropping your child to crash. So and I know as a two year old, you know how I, I you know, I guess knowing that was he. do. I mean, I'm assuming he did. He was fine a few minutes into being in crash. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would, I would barely maybe be out of the driveway from from dropping him off, and and the childminder would would text me as I drove back, you know, drove to work and said he's fine. He's yeah. he, he literally settled as soon as you, you yeah. know, as soon as you turned your back, and, and that was always reassuring for me. But it didn't kind of it always added to the mum guilt that you yeah. already have, I suppose, as as a working parent. Yeah, and I I guess you know when we see our children in pain, it makes us be in pain. 
but kind of maybe also accepting that um, or realizing that sometimes, you know, tears are part of life and pain is part of life. And he's 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 learning resilience skills right there by one minute. He's upset that you're leaving. But five minutes later, he's engaged in something else. And that's really teaching him something really important. You know, even though you're the one probably left more upset than he is because he's having fun learning new things and you're the one who's taking on this guilt. So if you were maybe to kind of go, okay, well, you know, actually he's just having a stage at the moment where he's finding it harder to separate. There is a beautiful book out there called The Invisible String. And the whole idea of it is that it's like, you've got a string between you and your son, say, and that string, no matter where you are, no matter if he's in play school, no matter if he's in Australia when he grows up, no matter where, that he'll always be attached to you in some way and that you'll always hold him in mind. So you can kind of say to him, you know, when you're at play school, I miss you too, darling, and I'm thinking of you. And you could even give him a little transitional object that might help him, like, you know, like a, a something that smells of you or a little something that's just your little thing that just helps him to transition into that. And also kind of saying to him, you know, it's great. You know, I know you were really upset, darling, today, Pesh, and I missed you too. I'm so delighted that you were okay after a few minutes and you enjoyed your day. And I have no doubt he's probably settled again now. Would, would I be right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, now um, it's it's my husband who actually drops him off every morning. And we we really noticed, I think, within maybe the last, maybe just the last month, yeah. and he's saying, you know, maybe when you say in the morning where you're where he's going and he's, oh, he's maybe a bit unsure, but as soon as he arrives, yeah, he, he more or less runs in the door now. And, and even the childminder will say to me, oh, he runs straight in, sat down, yeah. grabbed the first, you know, grabbed his yeah. toy. He wanted to get straight into to, to playing with the others. So, no, he, he's, he has settled really well. And we did that with a, he has a comforter that he's had from when he was about a year old. And I start, and he, he knows it by a name. And I, I always said to him when he was going through that stage was, I need you to look after Ollie for me oh. today because Ollie might need a hug. Oh. And, you know, and he, did, he carries it everywhere. And that that was the thing that I think really helped. And I say, look, you look after Ollie. And if Ollie's sad, you give him a yeah. hug. And he did. He kind of took to that. So that helped us as yeah. well. He carries your love with him wherever he goes. That That doesn't go anywhere. Do you know what I mean? And like you have to fulfill your life as you fulfill your life. And what, you know, everyone has to go out and make money and do things that nurture them. And that's important, too. And I suppose it's the quality of interactions the rest of the time that's really important to, you know, and that's why I love that idea of that invisible string, because we do hold our children in mind all the time and they hold us in mind, you know. I'm at that stage as well where my wee boy's one and he has just started nursery and we're still going through the stage where he's very much crying when you're at the door so I'm looking forward to when maybe he's coming in a wee bit happier and um, but separation anxiety that's it's quite a normal part isn't it obviously of growing up and then going through this stage but how do you identify when their anxiety's a little bit more than what you know you would normally expect I think uh, for a child like if something goes on for a long long time and it's really impacting on their enjoyment. So say if a child had separation anxiety and they were going into a, a play school, but they weren't settling after a few minutes. You know, you, you got a phone call from the childminder an hour later, two hours later to say they still haven't settled, you know. And if it's really impacting on, 
you know, it might even be impacting on their bodies because anxiety is a very kind of physical feeling that you feel in your body. So they're kind of really having these anxious reactions, you know, shaking and they might be having nightmares or at this age, you know, bedwetting could be could be something, you know, it's a very bodily kind of um, process. So I think if it's really going on for a long time and really and impacting on their ability to kind of explore because it's totally a child won't explore unless they feel safe. Um, there have been situations I've come across where, you know, a parent has decided to move their child. I'm not saying that you guys should do this, but, you know, they mightn't have been comfortable with a particular childcare arrangement. And maybe the child was upset over an extended period of time. And they the parents had to make a decision whether that was the most appropriate placement for them. But that's not to say that you would do that necessarily. It's just you know, that's when you would be more concerned, you know, uh, about a child. And what would you advise parents about how to deal with an anxious child? I know you said you were an anxious child growing up, Mm. you know, looking back, I suppose, what what do you think is the best way parents can deal with anxiety in children? Well, that's that's why I wrote my book, um, Love In, Love Out. Um, The reason I wrote it, I suppose, is because I had anxiety and I felt like around the age of nine, and um, I was just afraid to be in crowded places, afraid that I'd get lost and nobody would come find me. Um, just afraid of a lot of things, just carrying the, the weight of the world on my shoulders, stomach aches. And I felt I was misunderstood. And it's not to say that I blame my parents. I don't. You know, it was a different kind of generation in a way. But I was given this placebo drug for my stomach aches. And really, you know, what was going on for me was that I was worried about a lot of real life things that were going on, I suppose, in my life at the time. So I think the the, the most important thing is for parents to understand that when their child says they're anxious, mommy, I'm really, I'm really, you know, or shows them they're anxious, like that, that anxiety feels really real to your child. Do you know that it's a very, it, it affects your thoughts where you have these doom and gloom thoughts. It affects your body where you've got that adrenaline rushing through your body. And to, to say to your child, there's nothing to worry about. Say if your child says, I don't want to go, you know, during normal times, they might say, I don't want to go to that party on Saturday or whatever. And the parent might say, ah, but you'd be grand. You've, you know, you'd be fine. You've gone to that most parties before. Sure, you're grand. And that's kind of, I know the parent, you know, wants to help their child to get on with it. But at the same time, it's not really validating the child's experience. So it's important to try to I've developed this kind of acronym called SAFE for my book. And S is for self-care, which is this idea of the first step, I would say, to any parent, no matter what age your child is. And if they have some type of anxiety is to check in with yourself and to figure out how does how does my child's anxiety feel for me when my child says mommy there's you know they wake up you know in the night all the time or they don't want to go to school how do i feel what's this like for me and you might even go back to how your feelings were met as a child by your own parents and very often that can kind of affect how you react because we all kind of take on roles that our parents did with us it's just automatic um And then the self-reflection, reflecting on that and then self-care, which is this idea of like nurturing yourself, making sure that you're well topped up 
with good stuff in your life in order to react. And then A is for anchoring, which is like these really physical, these really kind of practical ways of managing anxiety. So say if your child is, um, you know, has a lot of adrenaline rushing through their bodies and they're really kind of anxious about something, you need to let go of that adrenaline. And you kind of do that by different strategies, like um, dragon, breathing like a dragon. So you might kind of, you know, put your arms up and then blow out like a dragon as if fire is coming out of your mouth, you know, so it's real playful. There's lots of playful ways. If people Google um, my book, even if they want, those playful strategies are online. I've, I've done lots of articles on them. Um, there might even be something like um, shaking on purpose. So you've got this adrenaline rushing through your body. So you need to shake it out. OK, let's shake it out now, you know, and, and in a way that can help to relax the parent as well, because they're kind of real, they're becoming playful with the anxiety. And then the F is for feeling felt, helping your child feel validated. You're worried about that party on Saturday, unpacking the worry. What part of that party are you most worried about? And they might say, well, I'm worried that that girl is going to be mean to me. OK, so, you know, then you're going to kind of get further into that and unpack it and really validate that for them. And then it's only then that the child is able to come into like problem solving, which is the empowerment step of, OK, well, what can we do about that? OK, so you find it hard to go to this thing on Saturday. I'm wondering how and I, I really I know that you'd really like to go. So it's about finding the, the balance between holding your child safe, but also empowering them to test their fears, you know? So sometimes you might do like a fear ladder with a child, which is like the top is the thing that they're most afraid of. And you kind of work your way up towards the top or, you know, just getting problem solving away with them. You can use mindfulness. You can use play. There's lots of ways of being playful. Like say if your child is worried about a monster, you might say, Okay, so let's let's draw that monster or what's that monster called? Let's make that monster look silly. So actually not telling them there's no monster in the room, becoming playful with the monster. And it really all starts with the parent breathing in and out because lots of parents, when their child is anxious, become immediately anxious themselves. And that's a completely normal response. So it's about kind of like breathing into it. So when I even say to my daughter, you t when she says, mommy, don't go. And I'll say, you tell me when you want me to go. I actually, I actually just breathe in and out and relax. And she knows that I'm not anxious to leave anymore. And remarkably, she'll let me go a lot quicker um, when she knows I'm not anxious. They won't let you go if they know you're anxious. They want to mind you, you see. I find that interesting what you're saying about the parents as well because I think I I definitely am an anxious parent like I think I just worry about everything and what you're saying is I suppose that we need to look after ourselves before we can even deal with our kids anxiety as well absolutely like you could even you know if you're an anxious parent you were probably an anxious child to an extent or you might have been and kind of thinking about maybe how did one or both of your parents react to you like and I, there's an amazing concept from this parenting course I did called circle of security which talks about shark music and it's this idea of there's like um we use this as part of this parenting course we run but it's like this idea of uh, we show a video of a part of somebody going down a path towards a beach and 
during that video you show you they're listening to beautiful music and they're going down this path towards a beach and then you ask the parent afterwards how did you feel watching that video and the parent will say oh I loved it it was really I'm waiting to see what's on that at the beach and it's just such a lovely feeling and then you show the same exact video but you've got Jaws music playing in the background like and then you ask the parent how do you feel watching the video and they're like oh my god there's like something lurking behind the tree and i'm so afraid and the shark music are the echoes of your childhood wounds they're the echoes of the way your feelings might have been reacted to by your own parents and we never blame parents because they're only doing what was done to them and their parents are you know it's like a generational way of reacting to emotions which you know so it's kind of like, I know I freeze when my children say to me, mommy, I'm hurt. I, you know, not when their arm is falling off, obviously, but when they say, oh, mommy, I have a sore this or I have a sore that. And I kind of get real frozen. And I know that's my shark music. I'm, I'm because I know that when I was younger and I had hurt myself, that's the reaction that I would get. And so I kind of the most important thing is to become aware of the times that you become frozen as a parent and you become very kind of anxious or frozen and to, to kind of acknowledge that and then to say, I actually have a choice with how I react. So even though I'm frozen when she says she's hurt her leg, I can still like sit with that pain or the frozenness and say, oh, you poor thing, you know, and almost fake it until you make it. Did you hurt your leg? And I'm not saying I always am able to do it, but it's the awareness. It's that awareness. It's the even calling it shark music helps parents because they're like, there it is. There's my shark music. So it's just we all have it. We all have it. So it's because our amygdala, which is our fight or flight kind of response is right next to our hippocampus, which is the memory center. So we all have these automatic ways of behaving, including the way we parent. Yeah, that's quite, that's really interesting because, I mean, it's, it's you don't you automatically think I need to do something quickly to kind of help them. But you don't think, OK, hang on a second, let me take it in, let me kind of process what's going on and then react. But we all do probably instantly react. And as you say, it's our innate ability to, to just protect and to, to go straight in. Um, and it might not necessarily be the, the right response. There's so much to think about there and we will include links to Mally's book and some of the other authors she mentioned in the episode description. Part two will focus on the school and teenage years and will be available next week. We'll see you then.